And now I am so happy to introduce my friend and neighbor, Suzanne Perry, who just moved to Arizona the beginning of December. And I'm sandwiched between two murder mysteries. So I'm, I'm kind of the center of the Oreo here. Suzanne Perry earned a degree in social sciences at Washington State University. Prior to writing The Suite, her career included supporting homeless families, consulting on child development, and training child care providers. In addition, she held a variety of positions with Head Start and early Head Start programs in Washington State for many years. Perry, this says resides, but used to reside in Ocean Park, Washington, and Tucson, Arizona, now Robeson Ranch in Eloy. Upcoming projects include a sequel to The Suite, a collection of fictional stories based on actual events, and a children's book about friendship. Help me welcome Suzanne. Well, hi, everyone. Hi. It's really nice to be here at the library. And I have to say thank you, Janie, for that lovely introduction. And I want to say thanks to Casa Grande Library and to the friends of the library. I, it dawned on me that um, I'll talk about this, the book in just a little bit, but it dawned on me that there's a reference in, in the book in the forensic section of all places um, at how wonderful and skilled librarians are. So um, just, that's just a little teaser for you there. So yes, uh, The Suite is my first published novel. And it started out um, quite a few years ago. And then to be, to be uh, perfectly honest, I lost it. I lost the book. I didn't lose everything. I just lost the book. So a few years later, I found the beginnings of the manuscript. And I said, hmm. Not too bad. I think I could probably pick this up. So that's what I did. So I picked it up later, and I didn't really know at the time that I started writing the suite that I was going to do a sequel, or what has also become now a third book for the series. But when I finished this one, and I had given it to a few trusted people to read it, everybody kept saying, well, what happens next? What happens next? What happens next? We want to know more about these people. So that's kind of how that happened. So once I survived the first manuscript to publication, I started a second one, which is within the next couple of months, it'll be in print. Yay! I just have to say that for myself. Yay! Long road, long road to hope. So um, the, the, third, the first book, I'll just give you a real quick intro to all three of them. The first book is a, is a murder mystery. It's about, the, it's about the murder of a homeless runaway. And um, that's quite a follow-up. I was listening to Janie's beautiful stories, and I thought, oh, boy, I'm going to be a real downer when I get up here and talk. There, it's going to be real depressing. Um, the second book, the one that's almost ready, is about a veteran of the Gulf War who uh, lives on the streets, and he is accused of a crime. So the second book in this series is called Veteran, and I'm calling this series The City Streets Novels. The third book that is so in my head right now, and I'm trying to keep pushing it away, is about street kids, and the title is Gutter Punks. And that's the one I'm really deep in right now because I'm researching that. Um, so the suite is, again, it's about a homeless runaway, and... Um, I'm going to read just a little bit from chapter one for you. In fact, I'm going to read the very first part of chapter one just as an introduction to, so you can kind of become a little bit um, aware of the victim in this novel. 
And then I'm going to read a little bit from chapter 2, and I'll tell you a little bit about those characters before I get there. So, beginning chapter 1. The girl was dead. That was a sure thing. By the time the shelter residents returned from looking for housing, work, help, whatever, they found out that she was dead. When asked by the investigators, no one seemed to have noticed whether she had been at breakfast, nor could they remember if the girl had been around the night before. No one noticed. It was the story of her life, really. No one noticed whether she was around unless it was some degenerate, Fagin-like creep who saw her as a commodity. They noticed her now, though, now that she was dead. The shelter is called the Avalon Center. It's a shelter for the homeless. Being that it was mid-November in the Pacific Northwest, wet from the incessant rain and cold at night, Avalon was a busy place. Homeless families with single, uh, homeless families with children, I'm sorry, or single women can stay at Avalon for 30 days. Then they have to move on. They can move on to permanent housing, to inpatient treatment, to trans transitional housing, or to another shelter. Back with relations or friends or back on the street. Avalon has a dorm. It's one large room really called the suite. The suite is made available to up to four single women at a time. Our unnoticed gal had a bed in the suite and had been there for three days before she was found dead in the alley. Mark Twain was quoted to say that the rumors of his death were greatly exaggerated. Not so with the girl. Her death was a sure bet. So that's my victim. So moving on to chapter two, the piece that I wanted to share with you is... Um, right after she's discovered and the police are on the scene. So you're going to meet Liz, who is a detective. She's the lead on the case. And um, you're also going to meet Connors. And Connors has a first name, but we never use it. He's just Connors. You're also going to meet Mike. Mike is a very good friend of Liz's. They've known each other since um, college. And Mike is actually the manager of the shelter where our unnoticed gal had been staying. Connors was looking around the alley, taking in details. Well, we have a female victim, late teens or early 20s, white, average build, a homeless guy found her and alerted Mike from the shelter. Mike called 911. I checked for vitals, but she's dead. She's not been here for more than a few hours, is my guess, but she's dead all the same. The Emmy is on the way. Liz looked at the girl and soaked in what details she could from, the ob from observation. Her hair was long, straight, and light brown with a bit of blonde. Her skin had been fair even before the deadly pallor had taken over. She wore jeans and a leather belt, the simple buckle constructed of two small iron rings. A long-sleeved, faded-out black thermal shirt was worn under the plaid flannel. There may have been another layer under that, hard to tell. Basic street kid's uniform with a decent pair of boots and thick socks. The girl had two earrings in her right lobe, right earlobe, the earlobe that was visible just inches below what happened to be the fatal wound on the side of her head. One earring resembled a small silver dragonfly. The other was a tiny silver sphere on a post. No backpack, no purse, no wallet. There was some amount of this of, of liquid that appeared to have been spilled near the body, close to where she had landed on her left side as she fell. It looked to have been spilled or dumped from a cup or a bottle, but there was no cup or bottle in the alley. The lab might be able to identify it. It was a liquid other than blood, that is, and there was plenty of that too. 
At least the weather had been on our side. It hadn't rained since early morning. Connor's voice broke into Liz's thoughts as he gestured and said, Mike's over there. He's with the guy that found her. You know Mike, right? Liz nodded yes. She did indeed know Mike. They had been best friends for years. Okay, Connors, I'll go talk with Mike and the man who found her. Let me know when someone arrives from the ME. Liz waited a beat and then she asked Connors, you wouldn't happen to know who's in the rotation. Connors shook his head. It should be Myers, but maybe you'll get lucky. The Myers to whom Connors referred was a pathologist with the medical examiner's office. To be perfectly blunt, Liz detested Myers and actually had come to blows with him once in the corridor of the morgue. Although neither of them had divulged any of the details, the altercation had become legend around the department. Anyone who knew Liz would have had the sense to back down, and the incident earned Myers the distinction of having his clock cleaned by a girl. A really tough cop of a girl, but a girl nonetheless. The episode had resulted in reprimands and some continuing chagrin. With any luck, thought Liz, it would be Stein, the chief himself, who would show up for the girl. Liz had had a lot of respect for Dr. David Stein, the head ME, but how he kept idiots like Myers on his staff was beyond her comprehension. There you go. Thank you. I'm trying to remember if there's anything else that I wanted to say about the books. Oh, I did want to say that I have the books back here tonight, the suite, and I do have an excerpt from the second book. Because, like I said, it's so in my head right now, I just can't push it all away. Um, so I have the excerpt with it, too. And I'll be in the back. If anybody has any questions for me or anything, I'm going to be around for a while. So by all means, I love talking to readers and um, would love to have a, a chance to chat. <laughs>